What's going on with dance and stuff? What's happening with dance and things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with dance and stuff? Big shout out. Thank you, Dance Magazine. Oh my, I forgot. That's nice, right? I mean, well, you're the one who texted it to me. Here's what I figured it out. I I wanted to read about Sarah's show from Jacob's Pillow that I went to see. And then I wrote my name. You Google searched your name. My name. Uh Thinking it would be about... Joan, you know, like Joan Acachella, right? I don't know. Uh-huh. But it was, um, that came up. And I was like, wow. And what came up for, the, for our listeners? Um, Carolyn Shadle, Shadle. We don't know who, we don't know. Can't pronounce her last name. Carolyn, who right. writes for Dance Magazine. Right. Had written a story about her three favorite dance podcasts. And we were her number two. Honored. Silver. Silver is good. Silver, but I, I mean, it's my tone. We it's can't be the number one dance podcast because but are you sure is it a dance doing, podcast but, after but, all? <laughs> it hasn't been for a bit. But, um, uh, but it is because we talk with dancers and we talk with choreographers and we talk to them about their lives. That's true. Because the life is, mo- is most important. Their, li- their lives are most important and then the art that they make, we can let people know when it's going to be and then people can go see it. But I think... Um, it is a it is a uh, a long form. It's our long form art. It's our long form art. And congratulations to Conversations on Dance, friends of the podcast, for winning the gold medal. And the Pillow Pod, I believe. Yes, Pillow Jacob's Pillow Podcast. Right, was done with the Joyce, right? I believe so. Yeah, I think Norton organizes that from the library. Have you met him? I haven't met him yet, but I'm looking forward to it. I did just have my. Uh, library meeting as soon as we returned. We love Norton at Jacob's Pillow. He's helped us. And oh, I did. I did mean. I'm sorry. I thought you meant the library. No, no, at, not the NYPL. Norton, the and Jacob's I was like, Pillow Wait, archive. Yes, I met him so briefly when I was there with James. That was the long, still the longest yeah. day of my life. We didn't get home till two a.m. The only time I've been to Jacob's Pillow at, at doing just a real what have you with James Whiteside. There's so much to tell you. There's so, so much, much to, to talk about. I don't about. even know what to begin. So first of all, thank you uh, to Dance Magazine for our thank shout you. out. And second and of all, I took a jump rope exercise class. I think that should we should start with that. Okay, start with... I went to a Cunningham showing of Scenario the other day, uh-huh. and uh, as staged by Andrea Weber and Jamie Scott. Love. Jamie told me that she's taking an exercise class that Nicole Manorino teaches near Prospect Park that is a jump rope exercise class, and I said, I'm going to go to that. Yeah. And I went on Saturday at 10 a.m., and I, at a certain point, I was doubled over holding onto my thighs and I I thought I was like in a sports movie or like in um footage from the Olympics you know like when runners hold onto their thighs and pant and almost throw up right because I don't ever usually feel like that because I don't exercise right um but it was no joke I saw Nicole Manorino at the MR gala and I was I said we have to have you on the pod and she told me about this exercise program she's doing everybody should go well let's get Nicole on too sweet um, did you finish the class or did oh, you? Of course, yes. Uh-huh. I just... took, I started to like, what I do is I finish, but if she's like, do eight more squats, I'll do two. six. Uh-huh. Oh, so you're doing squats between the jump rope. Oh, you do eight. all kinds of stuff. Run a lap. There's, she'll set up ropes where you like do little like army drills around them. Like, um, what's that called? Grapevining or like uh-huh. chassing. Uh-huh. And... Pas de beret. I would. You were just pas de bureing your no, way through no, the no. Basically. Uh-huh. And, uh, you push-ups on benches, 
jump roping. I have blisters on my index fingers from jump roping. So that. wear gloves, everybody. Wear gloves. That. Nobody else wore gloves, but I did have socks on my hands after a certain point. Um, you put, like you took off your socks and put them on I had your an hands. extra pair of socks because I knew I'd be sweating a lot. Oh, okay. So I put the fresh socks on my hands like mitts. Uh-huh. I was the only one. I have very delicate skin. I'm absolutely sure you were the only one. I was the only one. That seems completely accurate. Yeah. Though I would have been in like a full head to toe veil. You must. You know? Well, we were in the and, shade, which was nice. Oh, that's good. But you still put on, I'm sure, a heavy dose of sunscreen before you went. No. How unusual for I you. Know. And then I went to the Pierre Cardin exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum in Uchicago. It's so fun. Because? It has wonderful pieces. It's educational. And it's fun. Amazing. Yeah, inspirational, especially for costume designers. Do you have a Pierre Cardin uh, cardigan? No. <laughs> Pierre Cardin cardigan? <laughs> Do you have Pierre Cardigan? Do you have Pierre Cardigan cardigan? <laughs> I was just curious. Is that a Pierre Cardin cardigan? Or is that just a regular cardigan? <laughs> It's really good. Um, and also, in that same day, I made pickles with Mark Junick and went to Kim Brandt's showing at the shed. Oh, how controversial was... showing space. Oh, um, right, the controversial showing space at the shed. Yes, yeah. that's right. How was her show? Great. It was like um, a long form standing stretch in a way with with a group of people who then like slowly moved towards one another into a standing stretch huddle and then slowly peeled off. Yes. Dance, sculpture. Dance, sculpture, half an hour. We're going to have Kim on the pod. I've uh, been we texting must. her. Uh, because I believe she did her MFA in sculpture. I believe it. Um, and uh, and also sent me a message about Jane. She oh. Wrote, Jane. I was break. just listening to Jane and missing Jane. I miss Jane. Jane, we miss you. Jane, I miss you. I miss Traverse City. No. I miss Lake Michigan and a cooler, less polluted, less loud. Less subway. Less the subway. Wow. My, oh my, I mean, I know we've complained about it. I mean, we've done, what is Every this? Week. This is like 120th something episode and we've complained a hundred of these episodes about it. And it's, um, it's now worse than ever as it is 200 degrees in the subway stations and you wait 15 minutes for a train. Once again, I had to uh, go through, I had to pass the turnstile without paying today because I swiped my card five times. It said, please swipe again. I wish there was a video of you swiping and over and over again. Uh, there is, if you know, if I, if I, if some, I was I didn't like, get the security footage. Yeah, well, if someone had grabbed me, I'd have been like, I want you to look at that video because I swiped it five <laughs> times and I saw that train coming and I needed to get uptown now. It was, I, and I jumped over it. I really just wow. put my hands on. Rather than go under it? Can you go under it? I don't know. No, because it has a diagonal thing. Yeah, and I'm just so small. I was just sort of like, was like right on over. <laughs> and then, you know, just you like floated. flew down the stairs on my broomstick and Amazing. got on the subway. Congrats. And I just was like, I can't, but it was irritating to You're say the least. Because I already had had to go to like Canal Street and Broadway and the Upper West Side. Anyhow. Um, Something I went to shows. Yes, you went to shows. Performances. Did I see anything beyond Joyce Festival performances? Well, you just saw Kim Brandt. I saw Kim Brandt. Uh huh. And then you saw the Joyce shows. I feel there's something else I saw. Uh, what? Help me remember my life. Sarah Mons. Oh right, I went to Jacob's Pillow. Yeah. <laughs> How about listen to this? Okay. We go to Jacob's Pillow. 
we I didn't even know the Graham company was going to be there because you just really never know unless you look Google. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Dance Magazine, <laughs> Dance Podcast. And I didn't know Graham was going to be there. Because all I ever do is Google my own name. Who, and who was going to be where or what's this or what's that. But I did see all of my friends there. <laughs> did. Because I'm friends with everyone in the dance world. So it was really just so like, the, oh, hi. The Graham company was there. Uh-huh. And the, there was top people there. Michelle Dorns was leading it top workshop uh-huh. as part of the Jacobsville school and Sarah's program had pieces by Jody Melnick, Liz Gehring, Martha Graham, um, Wang Ramirez. Did she do extrasis? Is that yes. like Graham piece she's doing? Okay. Work. So basically the entire weekend was just like female power. Yeah. It was great. Good. Loved. And the whole festival was run by women. And that Good. was so like, Heartening, and it wasn't advertised as such. It just was so. Yeah, and that was nice. I love that. And um, Sarah's show was like, as these ballerina sample poopoo platters go, it was really well done. And I, bravo to her for using such like good people and for. Um, I just think like her relationship with Jody Melnick has really served her well. It's really special. Their relationship yeah. is really, and and having watched it from its beginning uh, a dance space with that platform right it's and it was so clearly impacted sarah and from having her on the podcast and listeners if you're just tuning in go back to the sarah uh two-parter we did where at that time in her life that helped her and jody both is like a a dance partner choreographer and and also advisor is like i think very good another person we need to have on the podcast yeah love jody and Brian Schaefer was there as a scone residence. We had, to, had a really nice talk about the state of ballet, et cetera. Oh, yes. Interesting. And um, maybe we'll have him on the pod one day. I, I think he's an incredible writer. I just read something he wrote recently for Dance Magazine about appropriation. Appropriation. Yeah, about how does that function in terms of choreographers who actually come from hip-hop versus those who just appropriate it. Right. That's one of those words, appropriation, where for like five or six years, I would often want to call upon it, but I could not. I couldn't find it. There's one word, and I was just talking with Neil Beasley about this, that I can never remember, and it's virtuosic. Oh, that one's easy for me. I never, I always, as soon as I go to talk about built, um, sorry, am I talking about Sure, Bill T. Jones or Bill Forsyth. I I mean, it's a kind of virtuosity uh, in Mm -hmm. post-ballet that is looking to comment on the virtuosity and the labor of of dance, of the form. And I was going, I was talking about a Forsyth piece and I was like, and it's that word, it's that word. As soon as you say Forsyth, you should say this word. And I was like, virtuosity. And I was like, yes. There you go. That's it. Perfect. Um, So anyhow, I, you, uh, as ladies and another, if you follow James White's on Instagram, you saw that uh, he performed at Madonna's birthday party. In my mind, I thought Madonna's wedding, but yes, sure. birthday. Sure. Marrying, marrying herself. Marrying her older self. Oh, okay. Her AARP self. That's so mean. Uh, marrying herself. Because she's sixty-one. She's sixty-one. Yeah, she's a mere few years away. I still think that's mean. Um, so I, so James wrote me and he was like, do you want to come with me as, uh, my assistant? And I said, absolutely. Yes. This is, it's all working out. I'm finally going to get to meet, um, in, in the Hamptons. So, um, 
Are you going to cry? We're gearing down. Are you, does it look like I'm going to cry? Well, it looks like you've been crying since you have oh. goop all over your face. Incredible. <laughs> um, uh, so I and James, so James and I are talking about it. We're getting and I'm getting ready to go. Getting ready to go to Bridgehampton um, for her birthday party. Uh, and then on Friday afternoon, I was canceled. You were canceled. Party. I was. I, no, you can't. You can't come. Oh. The, the her her reps were like, no. And I briefly wondered if it was from my Instagram con- content, which has some um, content inside of it. Oh, you think they it. like Googled the names? They might have. Or maybe they just, it was private enough that they were like, you can bring no extras. Maybe. But I like to think about it that it was from the, the quote of Truth or Dare that I used in Nightlight, Bright Light. Uh, oh, you really did do that. I really did do that. Um, and I, You did, you paid homage for her birthday by posting um, a monologue of hers. Well, a line, a line of hers. Um, and it's on my Instagram if you want to see it. And... Uh, I was relieved to not go to the Hamptons. It's far. It's because I didn't want to be pushed again. And the last time I remember being pushed was when I tried I to go to the Hamptons with you. You wouldn't have had you. to get in a car. Or the, the train, rather. Probably. No, I'm sure you would have been driven. I don't know. I'll ask James about it when I talk to him about it. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. yeah I haven't gotten we to... We can live vicariously through to, I haven't gotten to download it from him yet. Um, I'm sorry. So that's it. Dreams dashed. Dreams dash, but I did get to hang out with Jen and Cole, so that was really fun. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, so fun. Really lovely time. We need to have Cole on the pod. We are. I told him that. I and um, he refused because he hates our pod. No, and I was like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. He'll he'll be here. He'll be here. He'll be queer. Get used to it. Uh, all right. So we're gonna take a little break, and when we come back, we have a very special guest. And we're back. And we're back. Thank you for coming on this really hot day in New York. <laughs> Introduce yourself for uh, for okay. everyone. Um, I'm Shelby Williams. I am, yeah. Shelby Williams, with an AKA Biscuit Ballerina, yeah. which when this account first dropped, it really shook. It shook the gram. And it really, it not only shook, and something that I immediately loved so much about it was it wasn't just for the dance community. It was, it was, it broadened out into that, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. Well, let's get to who is Shelby Williams. Um, so I'm from Louisiana. Which mm-hmm. I found out, I didn't know that until we were talking. Yeah. I'm from Louisiana. Um, I went to school, Washington School of Ballet for a year and then trained mostly at Houston, did like the second company at Houston Ballet and uh, ended up dancing in Europe because there's a festival in Houston every year called Dance Salad. And it's mostly just like non-American companies that perform. European, Asian, South American, but mostly European. And um, Wait, where in Louisiana did you train? Um, I trained at Dancers Workshop, Baton Rouge Ballet Theater. It's a it's kind of small Baton Rouge Ballet. Because I do know some very accomplished ballet dancers well, from I, Louisiana. Well, I also I also would like in my free time when I could go, or like sometimes in extra weeks in summer, I would go down to New Orleans and train at the Studio Jacoby. Was that where, like, Janie Taylor, exactly. and Janessa Touche, uh, yeah, exactly. Patrick Howell? So, Janie was in um, Antwerp working with us at Royal Ballet of Flanders this season. We were doing a Benjamin Millipier piece. 
And I like, went up to her and I was like, <laughs> the first day she was there, and I was like, hi. Uh, <laughs> so you don't know me, but. Um, Louisiana. Like, when I was little, yeah, I would like go to the studio that you danced with at, at, at one point, and there were pictures of her like doing Tarantella and things, like all her little city ballet pictures. And then she was like, you're making me feel incredibly old. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was nice. It was nice having her there. And she was, she was super sweet. And we had a lot of things to talk about. Just also, like, she went to the same high school that a lot of people in my family went to. And Louisiana's not that big. And the dance scene, there's no, com- I mean, there's companies, but there's no um, school attached to a company that you, like, really build up into. So you kind of make a decision I'm going to go somewhere else because I need to find a a company outside of Louisiana that I can branch into via a school. So that was, yeah. And so what was your first job out of... So my first job was um, the director of Dresden's Improper Ballet. It's Aaron Watkin. He came with a few dancers to dance salad and they were doing step text from Forsyth. Mm. Yeah, it was very nice. And um, while he was there, he taught a master class to the second company. And I had already signed a contract to go to Ballet Arizona, actually, um, because it was my last year in the second company, and I need to, I need to work. I need to find a job. Um, and I was excited to go to Phoenix. Um, and then he taught this master class, and I was like, kind of want to go to Europe. I had gone to Europe the year before when I was seventeen, and done a week of auditions. I went to Berlin. I went to Dutch National. I went to a company in Dusseldorf. I went to Zurich. And everywhere I went, when I got there, they told me. Yeah, yeah, like lovely, but you're 17, and in Europe we can't hire you until you're 18. And I was like, it's on my resume, and oh, yeah. I just paid for this very expensive trip. Um, okay, but it was it was nice because I got to see a lot of Europe and um, see how the companies work there. And I, I only wanted to go even more, and had planned to do auditions the next year but just didn't, I was doing more productions with the main company than the year before and I didn't have the time to go. So um, when Aaron was there, I was like, okay, maybe I'm just gonna ask if they, because it's one of the companies I'd wanted to audition for. And so I just asked him, do you have any contracts still available? And he said, we have some, we have, I have an apprentice contract still available. And I said, would you consider me? And he said, yes, you have my approval. And he said that the, the apprentice program in Dresden uh, they do it together with the Puka Shula. That's this. Um, it's it was founded by um, Great Puka. <laughs> I don't know. Europe. Like a dancer, Mary Wigman. And, oh, oh yeah. yeah. I know her. Yeah. Went to high school with her. Okay. She was so great. <laughs> I really remember she was working on this thing called Hex and Taunts, and I was like, excuse me, I made that, but I decided to let her go ahead with it. <laughs> You know, I really made her a star, and I'm happy for her. <laughs> I made that. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm pretty sure I was working on that, <laughs> to that bar talk thing, and, like, uh, I feel weird about it, but you can do it, whatever, and I made wow. her a star. Yeah, it was weird. It was a so weird thing between Aaron, me and Aaron um, gave you, uh, he, he well, there was a ignited your dreams, maybe. Yeah, well, she, he, he said, like, I had to get approved by the school, so I had to send a video still to, to Jason Beachy, who's the head of the school, and then, like, then a few weeks later, I got a thing that said, okay, wow. like, we've accepted you as an apprentice. That's so nice. Um, That's, wow, because you asked. Yeah. It was a, the first time I did anything like that. And Dancers. I, was, I wasn't going to, but this, like, that's not the first time in my career that I went and asked 
someone had to kind of push me and I was like, wow, we shouldn't be so shy. Yeah. Um, because there was that. I ended up dancing there for my apprentice year. Went to France for a year after that. Wasn't so crazy about it. I was in Marseille. Was kind of infatuated the first six months. I was like, oh my God, five day work day. Where in Germany it's always six. Five uh, hour. Work, five hour. No, five, five day work week, 35 oh, okay. hour week. So like much shorter and I was like, oh, like relaxed lifestyle. So many people on like permanent life contracts so they can't get fired. People are very chill. Um, and the first six- The reality of Europe sets in. So much sun and I was like, oh, I love it, I love it. But it was, I was 20 at the time and I was I was hungry to, to do things and I'm happiest when I'm busy and when someone's asking a lot of me and it, we had like 15 shows in the entire season, which is, it's nothing. And we were 15 shows in the entire season, and after six months, I like could only go to the beach so much, could only drink so much rosé, and then I was I wanted to dance. So I was like, I need to fill my time with dance, and so um, I only spent one season with that company. I actually, wasn't rehired. Like the doctor, the they were like, you're simply not relaxed enough. <laughs> we asked, like, I don't know how many times we have to ask you to go to the beach and get high. <laughs> And you're not doing it. So I guess we're going to let you go. And you might want to look at Germany. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they were like, it was, it was a bizarre feeling. And also, I had much more of like the pushiness from coming from the U.S. of like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. And I still, I still really am ambitious when I try to do things. But I know it's very much for myself. And it's not against other people. Right. And so there, I don't think, I wasn't. There was no one for me to be competitive with. We were all on different pages, so I was just working for myself, mostly because at one point I was like, I want to get out of here, so I'm... Right. And I remember one of the older dancers in the company came up to me and he was like, Shelby, Shelby, it's too much. You, you, you try too hard. <laughs> just, just, you know, just be. And I was like, what? Just be? I try too hard. Like, what, what, what? And I was like, I gotta get out of here. And so I also, I'm- When you develop it, just don't. <laughs> when you want don't. to, when oh. you want to kick, just tom do. <laughs> I mean, like, I do, I love a marked piece. If, if you think you can do three pirouettes, why not just one? Yes. It's enough. Yes, honey, work. So, so I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I was also, I've never been very good at like covering my emotions. Not Likewise. like that I'm, I'm, ah, but if I don't like something, I, I don't know, I have, I, we I, know. I'm like, oh, I don't mask them. I've gotten better with it at time, with time, but when I was younger, I certainly, I was like, I'm doing the work. Like, you can't get angry at me, I'm doing the work. But then my director was like, you're not happy here. And this was in May. He came up to talk to me and I was oh just, my God. Oh, okay, there was, we never had any meetings. I'm like, okay, I have my contract for next season and I'll do auditions next season. And then he was like, you're not happy. And I was like, oh, open communication, I love it. And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not really happy. And I said, I, I want to perform more, I want to be asked more, I want someone to push me. And then he was like, okay, so I won't renew you. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, wait, 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 wait. And I was like, I'm, I'm American, um, I don't have a visa if I don't have a contract. And then it was like a whole thing of I had to find some way to get an artist visa to stay another year. And luckily I had met Angel Correa the summer before and he had asked me to come do supplemental contracts. And I was like, oh no, I'm sorry, I have a contract in France. Like I'm working full time, I can't. So then first thing I emailed him and I was like, do you need extra dancers? Because it is now May and I haven't done any auditions and I don't have a job next year. 
and he like got back to me right away and he's like yeah come to spain um wow. from, from december we're doing swan lake and we're taking it to the u.s uh, and so i got to do swan lake with them and i worked with them for six months and what company is this um it was the company that angel started in spain it, it ended up folding because they just weren't getting the funding they were mm. promised and he really put he really put his heart soul and also his own finances into it and it's just spain was having a really difficult time financially and right. They promised things, but they weren't actually giving what they promised. Um, so I had a really great time doing Swan Lake with them. And in between, I had a lot of free time. So I was like, well, okay, I'm living in France. I enjoyed a bit more the beach, a bit more the wine. And then I did as many workshops as I could. And I went to classes wherever. And I said, well, this is my time to figure out what I like in dance and what exactly I want to do, because I was so fascinated by so many different things. I was kind of just like, trying in every direction because I'd be like, I could be happy with ballet, but I could also be happy with contemporary, but I could mm. also be happy with, you know, postmodern American dance. Like I, I love it all. Um, and so I, yeah, by doing a bunch of different workshops, I, had you ever thought of coming back of trying to be in like the Trisha Brown company or no, I, the thing was, I, when I first moved to Europe, I told my parents because they were like, are you sure you want to go? It's so far away. And my logic was, once you're on a plane, you're on a plane. There's no company I'm gonna be dancing in Louisiana, so I either have an uh, hour and a half plane ride from somewhere in the US, or I have an, a 10 hour plane ride. But once I can't drive over to my parents' house, I was like, what's the difference? Right. So I didn't wanna come back to the US just yet. I initially told my parents, yeah, I'm gonna to go to Europe for one year, beef up my resume and come back with more competitive resume so I can find a great job. And then after one year, I was like, oh, maybe not. And then, um, yeah, so then I started looking around and I, I went back to Germany, um, did some auditions and companies I had there. And there was a, I had worked, I'd done workshops with this guy, Tomasz Mortz, who was an ex-Ballet Frankfurt dancer under Bill, and uh, William Forsythe. And then um, I had written him and I said, do you have any companies you can recommend for me? Because he, I'd done twice week-long workshops with him just on improvisation. And I said, you, you've gotten to know me where would you recommend? And one of the places he recommended was Mainz, Germany, which is close to Frankfurt. And it was one of his ex-colleagues from Ballet Frankfurt, who was a director there. The two ballet masters were also from Ballet Frankfurt. So it was like a little Ballet Frankfurt community there. Um, and they did Pascal choreographed, but then they were also guest choreographers. Mm -hmm. And I went and I did an audition and I, I got a job, but that was the place that like, I had contacted them to audition and no one ever responded to me. And so I was visiting a friend in another city nearby, supposed to be taking class and auditioning with his company. And when I got there, I was thinking, okay, you know, Tomas really told me I should try this company. So I just called on a Friday and, and someone answered. I said, hi, um, I'm a dancer. I tried sending an email to ask about taking class, but I never got a response. And I'm in town on Monday. And the manager just said, okay, you can come. Class is at 10. And I was like, you don't have my name. You don't know who I am. Like they didn't, they didn't know anything. And I was like, okay. So I went and I took class and uh, Pascal came in to watch class because there were a couple people auditioning. And then after class, I had a good feeling. I thought he was watching me. And after class, I went to say thank you. And he was smiling and I was like, thank you very much. And, and he was like, oh, you're welcome. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's it. And I went to go change. And when I was in the dressing room, one of the other dancers who's in the company, she said like, oh, are you staying to learn some repertoire? And I said, no. Um, I said thank you, but he didn't ask anything. And she said, oh, but he was watching you. He was interested. Does he know you're auditioning? And I said, well, 
I'd sent my resume and no one ever got back to me. And he didn't say anything to me now. And she was like, go ask him. And I was, I was like, what, what do I ask him? She's yeah. like, just go ask him. Do you want me to learn some repertoire? I was like, I love, who was this dancer? Veronica. So, uh, thank you, Veronica. Just yeah. Veronica. <laughs> she's Segovia. like Madonna. Veronica. Oh, Veronica. Yeah. She's, she's amazing. She's, um, yeah, she ended up, she was dancing in Munich and Gartner Flats. And now like, since we've left companies, now she's going to join, um, Marco Gucca's company in Hanover. Okay. But anyway, so she was amazing. And then she, she was like, she's like, come with me, come with me. And she leads me to the other studio where Pascal has a rehearsal going on. And we're at the door and she's like, just go in and ask him. And I was, oh my like, God. I was like, I'm interrupting a this rehearsal. Is, this is so scary. And then she pushes me into the studio. I like I stumble into the studio and then everyone stops the rehearsal. Oh, and no. they, they turn and they look at me. And Pascal's like, kind of smiling, kind of confused. And he's like, can I help you? And then I go, would you like to see me in some repertoire? Like my voice went so high, I was so nervous. And he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, go get some point shoes and, and come back in. And then I spent the whole day in the back of the studio and he said, just learn whatever. And I, Were you already like in your jeans at this point asking? Or I was you... in my street clothes. I like, I was pushed in in my street clothes. Hi. And uh, then I did that for a couple of days that I took class again. I canceled my other audition, learned some stuff. And then at the end of the day, he's like, show me whatever you picked up, anything, whatever you picked up, show me. I showed him and he said, okay, can you just improvise a little bit now without the point shoes? I improvised and then he said, okay, you got the contract. <gasps> yeah. Veronica, I, I really, I mean, the generosity <laughs> yeah. also of like someone in the company, you know, to, yeah. it feels really special. Mm. And it was, it was the really nice thing about working with that company was all the dancers were so different. Mm. Personality wise, body type wise, stylistically. We had some dancers who used to be with NDT or Company Nacional de Danza. We had some people who were from Zurich or we had like the range of like classical dancers who went towards contemporary or contemporary dancers who've never done ballet. And because there was so much creation, it kind of worked with everyone. It wasn't that there was a problem that oh, we don't have some sort of uniform in the company. And then we did do rep pieces. We did like Johan Inger and, and they did Killian and Jacopo Godani was making a piece every season. And um, so it was in like Ohad, Maharin and stuff like that. So who's that? Never heard of him. Friend of the pod. Oh, <laughs> so it was, it was a place where I really, yeah, I joined when I was 21 and it's a place where I really grew and the dancers, there taught me like obviously Veronica is an example of one of the dancers and then everyone's so generous with knowledge and it was quite no one nothing was really backstabbing it sounds there. like to look it was amazing how many years were you there I was there a little over two years because I joined partway through the season he had me join in April um and then so I don't know if you know this, Germany, their theaters like to play musical chairs where basically every five years right. they change the director, change the ballet director, and it's moving around. So then Pascal wasn't renewed, and then I had to look for a new theater. And um, I ended up going to a theater that was just like 20 miles away, not even like across the river. Where did Pascal river. go? Um, he moved to Frankfurt at first, and then he moved back to Bordeaux where he's from. He guest choreographed around Europe a bit. He even made a piece in Seattle for Wim Wim. Uh-huh. Um, and then now he's, like this year, he started, he wanted to have his own junior company, sort of apprentice program with young dancers. So that's what he's doing now. Um, Where? In Bordeaux, France. In Bordeaux, okay. Yeah. 
So did you ever get to talk with him about? Because I have heard some about that, but I don't know much about what that changing of the guard is. Oh, it was. It's the thing is every. It's governmental, really. Yeah, it's it, because it's the capital. It's like the there's no board. It's like the um, what is the word I'm thinking of? The head of culture for each mm-hmm. state. They make the decision of who will be the intendant, like the theater director, mm-hmm. and then the theater director chooses who will be the ballet director, the opera director, the schauspiel, so like the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's, it's always a gamble. And the point changing every five years is... To well, it it, to keep it And also, depending on who's in charge of, like, the cultural direction of the city, maybe they want something more contemporary or less contemporary, or they want mm-hmm. to have a shift from whatever direction it's been going, yeah. so... Yeah, it's just as, like, how... It be more different than... Yeah. Right, so it's not, it, it's not like curating uh, the shed or whatever. It's, like, right. curating the region. Yeah. Right. And, and the, there's, I think there's definitely the pros and cons to it because you have, in, in one way, it does keep it fresh and keeps yeah. people a little bit on their toes that they need to kind of show what I'm giving you is something worth keeping for another five years and like I, I have something relevant to give to the city, educate the city, whatever. In terms of the performers. Yeah, right. and, and the choreographer. Usually the director is also that head choreographer. It's like their company to choreograph on. But at the same time, it... it doesn't really give people enough time to build something because five years is a really short amount of time. Even though you have all the resources and you have like the whole foundation of a state theater that everything is really as well covered. as I'd imagine that last in that final year, the choreographer is going to be thinking about what they're transitioning to. That was, and then that was a also, really hard time for us. Was so like that must be very stressful to be like, where am I going next? Yeah. And they probably are starting that you know almost as soon as they have the job because yeah. they're like, in five years, this is gone. Yeah, this is what happened to. Mark Morris, when when the house in Brussels took him, and then his contract ended, and then just brought the whole thing back to New York. So it's not that bad. You just get like really. It's like having a really long residency. And then you like you find another residency because that's the thing is so many directors. And I say it's musical chairs because in the end, a lot of these directors end up staying in Germany. And maybe for one year they don't have a job, and then one year later they're assigned to another theater, and all their old dancers come with them. So it's mm-hmm. it's a little bit like that. So I went to another company in Germany for a year. It's where I met um, Tyler. Tyler, that both of you all know. Um, and it was a nice mixed group of dancers. We did a lot of mixed bills. What company was that? Um, Hessische Staatsballett. It's Slytherin. It's near Frankfurt also. It's Wiesbaden and Darmstadt. It has two cities where there's theaters. And the nice thing about that was they, because we had two theaters, we weren't using them all the time. And they also, Bruno Hendricks was our curator for any guest things that came through or they hosted residencies in the theater in Darmstadt because we always rehearsed in Wiesbaden. So we had performances by Sharon Ayal and... Uh, City Larabi Shikawi came in also and we would get free tickets to go see them perform and we usually do a workshop with whoever was passing through. So even if it wasn't in our rep, we got some exposure to these other people. And then also there were residencies like um, the woman who's the current director of Carte Blanche in Norway, the National Contemporary mm-hmm. Company, she had residency there for a month. We got to watch their process, do a workshop with her. Oh, cool. Hoffa Schechter did a month residency there. We got to do a workshop with him, also watch the process and, and what is they the do. Is the company still functioning that way? It is still functioning wow. that way. Um, yeah. But after two years, it was, 
I wanted, I, after my first season, I started to feel like, okay, maybe I want to get out of uh, this theater. The basement was where the studios were. Oh it was very small. God. There was something dark and kind of like, <laughs> felt a little bit like a jail at times. And, um, it's Suspiria. And, and <laughs> so then Tamash, the, the guy who I'd done the Forsyth workshops with, he had become manager at Royal Ballet Flanners under City Library Shikawi. And he contacted me in my second season and said, hey, um, are you happy in Beatspot? And just kind of checking in and seeing how I'm doing. And then I was like, maybe now's a good time. And I wrote back, bags are packed, send me the flight. <laughs> I, I was like, maybe now's a good time to ask him if, yeah, I, I should audition. And, and he said, yeah, I think you'd be a, a great fit. And he said, but the decision's not up to me. Larby has to meet you and he has to approve of you. And so I kept trying to schedule to go do a private audition and it just never worked. So I ended up going to the public audition, which was this two day long thing. I had to prepare a classical variation, wow. which I hadn't done in like five years at that point. What did you do? Dun, 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 I did dun, 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 because it was like uh -huh. shortest one I know. I mean, kind Jack, of, kind of if she, what if she'd gone in and done Four Little Swans by herself? That's, That's incredible. Well, thank like, you. I was really, I, don't you love the idea? <laughs> just with arms crossed. Just but imagine like, there's people on either side. I, but I mean, I just also want to emphasize of, my lower leg. Oh, I really want to. It's going to come up later in this show. I'm obsessed with this new show. It's so good. I want to briefly talk about Unbecoming a God in Central Florida with Kristen Dunst. It is... This is a show? I, I just watched the first episode. It's so incredible. I think Kristen Dunst might be my favorite sort of famous American actress. I don't think it's I know anything about... Kristen I mean, beyond Dunst? beyond her older movies, I don't think I've seen anything Have recent. you seen Melancholia? No. It's my biopic. I literally had a meeting today where I brought up Melancholia, and um, <laughs> I brought up Reed, and the person said, it's Reed Charlotte Gainsbourg, and I said, yes. There you go. Um, uh, but uh, it's really incredible. There's this part, there's something that's coming up, though, in, because I saw it in the trailer on, on Becoming a God, where she has dolls extended to her while doing a dance. Wow. So I loved picturing you doing four little swans. I could have just like, brought puppets. With extension puppets. <laughs> or also just, you know. That, that would have been amazing. Or also if you would have put like, but like weird things, like just have like a long bamboo rod across the back of your neck. And then from that, just strung like balls of feathers. Oh, by the way, speaking um. of puppetry, um, <laughs> the Dark Crystal prequel is coming out on Netflix at the end of the month. Ugh. So get your Kleenexes next to you <laughs> because Lord knows nothing makes you cry more than a sad looking puppet. They are. I mean, that movie really terrified a bunch of people. Okay. Anyways. So you go and you do your audition. Okay. Thank you. You did so, your donkey so variation. I did like, I it's short and it yeah, it's short how and sweet you are. and I didn't want anyone to know I was doing auditions. It was the only audition. Is the I wedding was variation or the turn from fifth? Um, wedding variation. Okay. And so then I was like, okay, I don't want anyone to know I'm doing auditions. This is the only audition I'm doing. Otherwise, I, I stay here. And I was, there was only one really decent studio you could practice it in. So it was like, how do I get it that people don't see me? One time people saw me rehearse. I did, I did two rehearsals. Oh my and God. one of them, someone saw me and they were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm performing in a gala in Louisiana in summer. That makes yes. sense. That's yeah. really good. That's a good and line. Then, That's really and good. And then I decided, okay, do I get a fan? Do I work on the fan work? And I went around Wiesbaden. Wiesbaden's like this retirement community city. Like 
I would say 70% of the population is retired so because there's hot springs and there's a big casino. Hot and it was like, I want to go there. In the time of East and West Germany, it was Dusseldorf and Wiesbaden were like the luxury cities that the rich Germans mm-hmm. retired to. So it's beautiful, but I was like, you were I like, am I going to have to hold up a paper plate? I couldn't find a cheap <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find a cheap place to buy oh to buy a fan. So <laughs> you like pictures? Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's good. yeah. I would do it. Anyhow. I I couldn't find one, and then it got down to like the day before we had premiere the day before the open audition, and so what I did was like I. I did the premiere, stayed for the reception, and then my boyfriend at the time was very sweet and drove me at one in the morning from Wiesbaden four hours to Antwerp. We arrived at five, I took a little nap, got up at 8.30, went and did the audition, was hoping maybe they won't make me do the variation. Not everyone had to do it. Of course, I had to do the variation. Didn't have a fan. Decided to use my hand as a fan. I love it. Yes. Yeah, and it so works. I did the whole variation. I was like, well, sometimes it's fine. You don't see the fan. And there's like just the Asia phase. And I was like, whatever the Asia phase, I'll just fan myself with my hand. Yeah. And there was also one of the ballet masters was sitting at the front. One was at the corner. They kind of moved around. And I got to the like, before the Asia phase when it starts to slow. And the direction where I looked, there was the ballet master. And I was like, I can either look at him or, you know, that thing where you look through them. Right. Like look beyond them. And I was like, I'm gonna look at him. I'm gonna go for it. And the so, story is so, really about choices. <laughs> so, so I was like fanning myself with my hand and giving him this look as I did Asia Pays. And I couldn't tell from his expression if he was absolutely eating it up or just wondering like what the heck is wrong with this girl. This seems exactly what the like what they'd be like, Larby will love this. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like I can't think this seems completely correct. It also reminds me of this book called Audition by Michael Shirtliff which they make young actors read. And in it, he says, you have to make an impression and you only have under a minute to do that. Mm-hmm. And he tells this story about Barbara Streisand coming in to audition for Funny Girl, I believe. Mm-hmm. And she came in at wearing two different shoes. And at a certain point was like, oh my God, I've got two different shoes on. Sounds so and, her, like everything and, affected, everything planned. And they were like, oh, I love it. And she got the part, made her famous at all. The least spontaneous actress in history. <laughs> Funny Girl is so incredible. I saw it three years ago. I cried so hard. I couldn't believe it took me so long She's to watch it. She's an incredible it. performer. I highly recommend everyone watch it. Anyhow, so you do your fan. Do my little fan You do your dance. hand dance. Yeah. Hand fan. Hand fan dance. My hand fan stare dance. Hand fan dance. Hand fan stare dance. And then, and then, uh, yeah, and then I got through and then we learned some of Larby's rep and then the next day we had just a full day of like class and, and Larby's rep and then, oh, and some improvisation and then like the next day I got an email and they said, you got the contract. Oh, life is easy for yeah. you. <laughs> she has not only no. put in the work, but she's asked for things with a yeah. healthy push at one point from Veronica. Yeah. And she shows up. <laughs> I still can't get over Veronica. I'm just upset. I like, love Veronica. I never came across someone like that. Like even, even I, I don't, I don't think I'm like, would ever try to discourage from someone from someone to my, mm-hmm. coming to a company I'm at out of, oh, I don't, like, I don't want the competition. Right. But I also don't know if I would be bold enough to take a stranger and be like, I think our director liked you. Like, you should go. <laughs> like, throw them into a studio. I like, you should would, go ask. I would do stuff like that when I was in companies. Yeah. Or I'd be like, that. you should talk to this person. You yeah. should do this. You yeah. should try this. I've done, and I've done that with, and I've done that with all sorts of people, either from actors to choreographers. But it's also partly that I'm like, 
if you really want it, absolutely go do it. Mm-hmm. Well, people don't realize that nobody is like offended by you asking for a thing you want. Mm-hmm. In fact, like oftentimes like sort of not particularly famous choreographers will ask famous dancers to be in their work and people will be like, how'd you get that dancer? And it's like, well, I asked. Yeah. And it's like, everyone you loves being asked. don't get what you don't ask for. Yeah, yeah. it's true. You know? And I was, well, and before you came here, I was, t- we were, I was talking about Brie and you know, people in, who've gone from the States abroad, who, mm-hmm. you know, and that she, that is how I met Brie, was her as a junior in Juilliard saying, I want to be in your next show, which I thought. Right, she asked. What? What? my god flattery I, mean, I was completely flattered because I was like wait I thought you were a model well when a model comes up and asks me in your next show yeah. absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> okay so then you get the contract and you're like and then um, yeah, peace and then, out yeah and then I, I went and told my director I was like well like, okay I, I got this contract I don't want to say no um, and, and how many years have you been in Antwerp three do you like it? Oh, I love it. Antwerp is very nice. Antwerp's very nice. What I like about Antwerp is it's not a huge city, but it's a very creative city. You yeah. have the Fashion Academy there that's yeah. very well known. Um, you have Fine Arts Academy also. You have a conservatoire for contemporary dance and uh, music composition. So you have a lot of like young creatives coming into the company. And then there's um, there's us, as like together with the opera, as the like Royal Ballet of Flanders and Opera Ballet Flandern. Um, using the opera house, but then there's also the single. It's an independent theater that just brings in all sorts of people, and they, the way they curate their programming is amazing. Amazing theater, dance, music. Have them call Jeff. Yes, (laughs) yes. But actually, and the nice thing is, it's it's a huge venue, but they also do such different, um, such a range of niche or how famous something is like it really is they bring in peanut Bausch company every i am season. all at once incredibly niche and incredibly famous yeah. and everybody in antwerp <laughs> speaks english yes yeah so. and they bring in they bring in international theater so um having to single there and that there's such an audience willing to see all of this new mm-hmm. performance art being done there it's it's a very good place to be and i really enjoy it and my yeah my first season was just Unreal, and I was like, I don't want to leave. After eight months, I bought an apartment. I'd been, I'd been, yeah, I'd been saving, thinking I was going to buy in Germany. <laughs> Eventually, I was like, yeah, I'm going to retire to Berlin. And then after a few months, I was like, I don't, I love Antwerp. I, I love this company. I love the people I work with. The dancers are so fun. And so, I bought an apartment. I had a much roller coaster with my uh, apartment because I bought one that needed renovation, thinking I'm going to put my own work into this, and then it's really mine. I can customize it as I want. Oh no! I also just ran into a million things that went wrong in the process, or a lot of contractors who didn't want to show up on time, and I had to go to rehearsal, and I was yeah, um, it was tough. Maybe the first year doing renovation, but now I love my home. Um, yeah, that's very ambitious. A renovation. Well, my mortgage was going to end up being the same as paying rent, so I was like, it makes sense. My mortgage? Uh-huh. Oh, I get it. You get it? Yeah, the monthly mortgage payment yeah. is the same as paying yeah, rent. I so. see. But then the renos are the thing that could be a real surprise. Ooh, yeah. 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 I was cash poor for a while. Yeah. Everything Susie Orman would, would say, I mean, Susie Orman says something like, anticipate 30% of whatever you're buying it and add another 30% on for if it needs reno. Yeah. It, it's something. It's some number like that where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I can't imagine buying an apartment, but who knows? Movies might come a knocking. Wow. So, Will you um, tell us about the um, let's get to bis- the birth of biscuit, biscuit ballerina. ballerina. Oh yeah. So that was that was actually Drew was like kind of the reason it started. Friend of the pod. Friend. We just <laughs> had Real her life on. Friend. We just had her on a um, month. Yeah. Ago. I spent every day for a month with her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So because because she sent me the video that she had filmed of you oh. in a rehearsal room, where I was just like it was to like celebration. It was just like you were just stomp, you were just stomping around with like a bent knee and a biscuit. Yeah, and she sent me that, and I was so gagged, and I was like, "What's happening?" And then it happened very fast. And then your account started. Yeah, well, because I remember posting that video and being like, "Um, this is a mess." <laughs> Well, it started because Drew and I and some other dancers were in a creation with Edward Locke, um, oh, previously yeah. director of La 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 Human Steps. If you've seen his work, it's very fast. It is. It's very fast, and there's a lot of like up, down on releve without any plie, and <laughs> it was exhausting. And so we were like a little bit punch drunk from the rehearsals, really long days. And so I was making some comment to someone about like, yeah, I'm not even getting up on my point shoe. It's so fast. And I was like, thank God, this is so fast. And everyone's just looking at the upper body because no one's seeing like the biscuit that I'm constantly just pumping <laughs> at the bottom. <laughs> and so then we had this five minute break and the little like biscuity dancing around, it's something I've always done since I was a student. And I have friends like my, my, the, my friends I lived with in the student housing in Houston, we have videos. I have old videos of us at like 16 doing fake like close up because we'd seen on, on YouTube, people would put up videos of like their relevé exercises, just their foot. So we did fake really bad ones where we were on biscuits. And then, so it's something I've been doing a long time. I also feel it's like good for strength training. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it would help strengthen your ankles. Totally I don't, does. I maybe I'm making that up. Yeah, well, we don't, I, just I, I, uh, I don't I, approve this message. <laughs> <laughs> Reed is absolutely... I think it does for, like, hops on point. You need that. You absolutely do need that. Like, my, in school, my Giselle variation was so much stronger than everyone else because of those hops on the diagonal, and I was like, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> I also got a little featured solo as a rat in Houston Ballet's Nutcracker because the rats are actually all the second company members on point running around in giant rat costumes uh-huh. on point clawing, and then there's one that does these, like, giant sprints across the stage. I, I, got to, I got to do it. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Rock hard ankles. Defining moment. Well, because I also feel, because I can be really stable, and uh, I have like a real no point for sure, but I'm stable. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I think, so I think, you know, having a little bit of biscuit training is good for everybody. Yeah. Well, I always, I was always like stable there because there was a moment where that was as far as I could get up. Right. Like I saw a few years ago, I saw my audition video from when I was 14, trying to get into some school outside of Louisiana. I'd send a video and I was looking at it and I was like, my bar's pretty clean. Like I didn't get in anywhere. And I was like, why did I not get in anywhere? Your feet. And then comes the point section. And first thing, I'm right. facing the front, and I do an A chape, and then I'm like, oh. What brand of shoes were you wearing? Capizio. Uh-huh. I was wearing Capizio. Now I wear Freed. I don't think it was the shoes that changed anything. No. It was just, uh, they had to be stretched I, oh, for a while. I, By the way, non sequitur, I liked your um, point shoe video with the point shoe lady. Oh, thanks. That Which one? Fun. The serious one or the jokey one? The serious one. Oh, okay. I didn't see the jokey one. There's a jokey one where I fit her. Oh. And I give her all the tips for the best looking biscuits. No, that's really good. I also watched one that was crazy that she did with 
these are videos where this woman who has a point shoe store goes around with like well-known ballet dancers or it's, student dancers and she a, and the, she's the like you need a gainer or a freed no no she doesn't tell them what to do they speak to her about their experience with point shoes and how they modify their point shoes oh, uh-huh. she's she's a master fitter like south of la and her she has the point shop and she What's goes her name? um josephine and she like drew's daughter josephine what baker <laughs> I don't remember Josephine's last name. She's the but point she, shoe lady. she works with like Point Magazine hires her to also do informative point shoe videos for Point Magazine. Got it. But she did one with Skylar Brandt where Skylar started talking about her point shoes and then she started showing what she does with her point shoes and it, it was everyone was both she and I were shocked. Point shoe lady and I were simultaneously <laughs> shocked. Because Skylar was like, Well, I was gonna like break it in half and then I cut out half the shoe and that's it. She removes half the shank. Now she doesn't just like three quarter it or like put a slit. It's just she takes out the whole nail, the whole shank, and then she just dances on like whatever is inside of the vamp. <gasps> and the rest of the shoe's empty. What? Wow. Yeah. Wow. What's going on in there? She has really strong, not too flexible feet. Wow. And then so with, with Josephine, we spoke about that. And I said, also, like, for me, I love to have super soft. She was looking at my shoes that were so dead. And she was like, you're still dancing on these. And I said, yeah. Like, oh, Skylar, these are my favorite. Skylar said she dances on her shoes for months and months. The point shoe lady at ABT loves her because she doesn't go through any <laughs> shoes. Right. Right. Yeah. And we were saying that, like, the misconception of, you know, the stronger your feet are, you should get harder shoes. And it's like, no, the stronger your feet are, the less support you need. And yeah. those of us with biscuits, it's great that we don't have anything in our shoe because we can have nice solid like bricks of feet and like less in the way. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, where, where so you, so Drew, sorry, I'm so sorry. you're like totally exhausted and like a break on, in rehearsal or after. I am. And- so we were here at five and then I was just, yeah, I was just, doing my little dance that I, I love to do. And sometimes I do it in the back of class. Sometimes I do it when like rehearsal gets too stressful and just to kind of break the tension, I'll do a little jig or something. And so I was doing it and Drew filmed me. And she was like, ska, 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 kitty. And I didn't I didn't know it was going anywhere. I don't even know if I saw, well, I probably saw she was filming at me. Probably looked at her at one point. I don't know. But then she put it on her Instagram. And before then I, would, I didn't really use Instagram. I had a phone that I couldn't do video on. I could only take pictures not very high quality pictures. Everyone made fun of my phone. Um, and I had an Instagram account that was just private for family and friends to see what my life in Europe was. Drew posted it and then the next day she told me at rehearsal, like, it's gotten so many views. You have to check it out. And so I went to her page and it was like 12,000 or something yeah. in a day. Whoa. And I was like, whoa, like that's crazy. And then there were all these people I knew, like I've never met, but I knew from the dance world and they were commenting on it and I was like, they love me. Robbie Fierce was like, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I was like, other people like this. And I thought it was something goofy that it was like, you had to kind of, you had to get me to find it funny because mm. I always just did it with friends and I thought, mm. and that maybe not everyone finds it that funny. And then there were so many comments I thought, maybe I'll, maybe I'll share this like publicly a little bit. And so, then I waited a day, and then the next day, I think at lunch, I told Drew, I was like, I think I'm gonna do a whole Instagram account just for, for like my little goofy ballet. And I, and I said, I gotta come up with a name. And then I was, I said, I think, I think Biscuit Ballerina. Like, cause I was thinking of doing like Bad Ballet or I don't know. 
And then I was like, no, no, she's, it's gonna be something kind of empowering because it's not, it's not something negative. It's, it's meant to be something like fun and, you know, like, like stress relief that you right. laugh off stuff. So I was like, Biscuit Ballerina, that's gonna be the name, Biscuit Ballerina. And then I started it and I had like other friends in the company just use their phones and film it and then they like emailed it to me. Oh my god. And then I had like an old tablet from like three years ago and I would like download it from the email and then I put it into the um, because, oh, you should know, before Biscuit Ballerina existed, I did a whole biscuit calendar with a friend of mine, Guido, in Germany. And we have this, I, we gave it as like New Year's gifts to everyone. You posted some of those, I think, yeah, on in the beginning, account, you early see, on, yeah. on you on the staircase, yeah. where it's like the so two of you did, doing like, like photos that we would see and yeah. if they were done like a super high quality yeah. way of like people in like a... A kind of held pose from a paw. Yeah. Except you guys did them more in, I think, street clothes or something? Or no, just did, in like we, your... did them, we did them in like dance clothes. You we were... also had like a silver unitard. Okay. We, we had, I, maybe I'll do, post a series of the originals yeah. soon. I think I do remember them. But we but... did, that was our like Christmas gift to the whole company one right. year was we printed out calendars and we included our company schedule in it. And then every month was a different picture of Guido and I doing Biscuit Ballet. Right. Um, so, so then I was like, okay, Guido will follow this. My friends from Beesbot and my friends from Mines. And so I start. I posted this video, and um, then I was just like, how does okay, how does Instagram work? And there were other dancers in the company that were explaining when you have a public profile, like yeah, well, you have to kind of pick ideal times to post. Right. And I was like, well, my lunch break is ideal for me, so I'm gonna post on my lunch break. And then I started posting in my lunch break, and um, there were. It started growing kind of quickly, but I didn't, because I never had a public account, I didn't know what was fast. I just thought, it's kind of fast, but I didn't know it was really fast, because after two weeks, there were 3,000 followers. That and took me eight years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, and then, like, one night, one Saturday morning, I woke up, and I was at 4,000. Like, overnight, I got 1,000 new followers. Wow. And I was like, what happened? Wow. And I was, I was looking, and there I was, like, on my computer, on my phone that can't take video, not really, like, I don't, I don't understand this. What's happening? And then it was Drew who sent me, like, a Facebook message with a link to this Point Magazine article that was titled, uh, so, like, something about, like, this ballerina is making us cringe so hard and we love it. And then it was talking about, and it was speculating that it was Drew, and they're like, the video first showed up on Drew's Instagram account. Must be Drew of Royal Ballet of Flanders. And then I was like, oh, I... Was it they thought the person was they her? They thought it was her, because it was on her account. And I was like, but it's... But it doesn't look so like her. It doesn't look like her at all. Anyhow. So then I was like, I, I was like, okay, I guess I'll email them and be like, it's not Drew. It's me. And then... And it's then, actually... Me. <laughs> I know that I haven't been seen on the public eye in the way my colleague, Miss Jacoby, has. But it's I know, me. But it's me, and I've got something to say. <laughs> <laughs> but then also because I, I looked on the Point Magazine Facebook page and I saw some angry comments from ballet teachers oh, saying, like, yeah. this is making fun of students, blah, blah, blah. Well, and that happened also, I feel, pretty quickly, too, of people being like, you're making fun of me. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I really felt, okay, I need to explain mm -hmm. what it is and how it's 
So then I, I emailed Point Magazine and I said, hi, <laughs> my name is Shelby Williams, I'm in the court, Royal Ballet of Flanders, and I just want to explain a little bit what this is, the video that I did. And I explained, you know, that basically we work so hard and I had, in school, I, I had like a kind of anxiety attack in the middle of class one day and I ended up being sent to a sports psychologist and then um, he helped me deal with my obsession with like perfection, being mm -hmm. a perfectionist. And also I was having a hard time because I felt like I'd plateaued, you know, sometimes in school you improve so much. And then of course it's natural. There's plateaus that you're not going to always be on a sharp incline when you're learning things. And um, I started learning how to deal with the pressure I put on myself and then also learning that like it's okay to find other ways to cope with it they encouraged me to have a more balanced life like find other activities and i was like i have to find a job there's no time for other activities but then i did find like okay if something really starts to eat at me um then i need to find a way to distance myself from it and that was by taking exactly what i was upset with and then making it look as bad as i could make it look so that i could be like you know, just find how absurd it is that someone can be upset about something like ballet, that, oh, my, my leg isn't shaped as well as it could be because I don't have this hyperextension, or like my extension isn't as high as it could be, when there are other people with real problems in the world. Right. And so this, like making it a goofy thing just reminds me like, it's also okay to laugh it off and mm -hmm. laugh at things because this isn't a life or death thing. This is something that you're getting in your head. You're getting way too into your head and it's becoming a roadblock rather than the determination actually being productive. Well, and it was so clear of the ventilation that, and, and because I likewise, and I would say you, I'm looking at Reed as I say this, also agree that having a sense of humor is so important, especially when you're dealing with things that are a, a privilege. And if we, when we think about the global context of things, yeah. the work, you know, being involved in the arts itself is a privilege. Yeah. And and yet, because it can be so insular with class, community, especially when it comes around things that are classical in nature, i.e. ballet, and the level of um, brutal criticality that can come in yeah. from voices that, that does have a sort of empirical, patriarchal lens on it, that the only way to diffuse that is going to be with the more objective lens and through, and when you're more objective, you have a better sense of humor. Mm. I've always felt that people who don't have a sense of humor lack being objective and therefore are, are, are aligned somehow in some sort of psychological nightmare for themselves that maybe they enact mm. on other people. Yeah. It's, are, do you continue to get criticism? Um, not so often. At the beginning, I definitely got more um, and I think maybe people who just didn't see the humor in it, they decided I find to... it actually shocking, like, thinking about these videos that a person could watch that and, ha like, misconstrue it. It's so clear what it is. Well, a lot of people, they were writing me saying, like, this is how I look now, and you're a professional, so you're not allowed to make fun of it that way. And my response to it was... I can't wait to hear. I'm so curious. I like, I'm like, what would I say to that? It's so crazy. Well, my response to it was, is that no one is born a professional dancer. We all start like that. We all start uncorded. We all start with like, we don't get the lines. We don't get the shapes. We don't. And I said, this is also a phase I went through, a phase I struggled with. And I said, the fact that I think something 
for me, something like having this humor and exaggerating and making it such an extreme, um, it's sad if someone can't see the way it correlates to all dancers, professional, amateur, student, what have you. Because I think it's something that's kind of unifying that we realize we all, st it's humbling, like we all start from the same place. You're not because you're a professional dancer, you're not like elite in that you never dealt with that. It's something that we can all relate to. And then also if you have uh, an amateur dancer who started as an adult and they also understand that struggle and they get frustrated and then they can also find the humor and like let's laugh at how silly it is sometimes when we can't get it right and how upset we get but actually it's just looking goofy and there's nothing wrong with right. that um but where i feel like they've made a mistake and like seeing some kind of reflection in that as you making fun of them is you're not playing the part of like a novice ballet student you're playing the yeah. part of a person who's so incredibly full of themselves that they could never see yeah. any of it yeah. so in that way it's so clear that you're not mocking yeah. beginners and i i yeah, so I, I always try to refer back to, like, everyone's been through this, and that's why we all can relate to it, and that's why we can all find it funny or see, like, oh, I've been there, like, that's, or that's what my adagio looks like on a Monday, or that's what my adagio looks like now, and, um... It's, I mean, I'm curious if, um, if, I don't know her real name, but the woman who does Miranda Sings, if she ever experienced mm -hmm. that from people who are like, well, I'm a singer and... Right. That, it, because it's they're so it's, similar to it me. It is a fair... Those, and, that's a good... And the reason I'm bringing yeah. that up, though, is, again, to kind of loop back to a brutality that I think happens specific to ballet. And it is... It's one that, in, that generally works on infecting the dancers and that the people cracking the whip uh, aren't you know, necessarily held accountable for. We're in a really great time of actually that really being more looked at and looked at how are we going to deal with this material, yeah. where we're at now as a society, and the demands that it places and the, the way, the things that are discussed around labor for the body mm -hmm. and, and how those, how we work towards those things and what's the sort of ethos around that, that I think can be, as I was saying, I think that's where the humor can be stripped out so quickly. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, uh, and as someone who has worked across the mediums from theater, performance art, dance, visual art, I have had these experiences of a difficulty in understanding humor right. in a field that also is so much about the body all the time without a lot of discourse about what's going on for that and this sort of psychological ramifications for out of all of those forms that I just listed, the shortest one. Right. Not in visual art, theater, or singing, or any of those, none of them are short, like dance is short. There's a limited time to get to do it. Yeah. It shows in, sort of in this way, incredible in ballet. patience and care that you like leave your character to respond to these people, to like explain yeah. the whole thing to them. Whereas like someone like Miranda Sings, she stays inside of that character to talk to these people. Oh, yeah, yeah. She responds to, to the criticism yeah. well, as Miranda. Know, has she been I don't know if she's been criticism. Oh, she has? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. She gets millions of views on her uh -huh. YouTubes, and a lot of people are like, you're ugly. Oh, I see. Oh, but that's, oh. Not, but then, that's a different yeah. side than them being like, why are you singing the way I sing now? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, was, I'm, I'm talking more about that relationship. Yeah. And that was something I also really loved about your response on the point piece. Because I felt like 
you you have been generous of framing it in terms of what you're doing here. And you brought up something earlier about ventilation that's just true to yourself in terms of these rehearsals that can mm. even in a company that you love that can start to feel too tight. Yeah. And like you're in brain surgery instead of a dance rehearsal. Yeah. And it's right. not to say it, it is this thing about life and death circumstances, yeah. um, especially right now as we're dealing with what we're dealing with globally. Yeah. Right. That, uh, and it's also in those rooms where there's more ventilation that I think a lot of really great work gets made. Yeah. Are you still enjoying Biscuit Ballerina or, or do you feel like... I am. Um, it's... The thing is now, because I, I never recorded it so... I never recorded it and I never did it so much. I always just did it when I need it. You know, mm-hmm. like when when it's a stressful day or when it's a tense rehearsal and it just needs, like, we need some goofiness or we need to laugh at, like, how absurdly difficult something is that we're doing and we just joke about no one in the company can do this. This is what we look like. And now the fact that people expect me to create content all the time, sometimes I'm like, I gotta, like, it's premiere month and I don't, I don't have the time and I don't have the energy, but I find a way to, like, go into a studio and film something quickly and try to spread it out it's it's also a lot of upkeep responding to people because I try now it's just it's gotten too far at the beginning maybe the first six months I tried to respond to almost every single person who sent me uh, a DM and then mm-hmm. now now I get like between ten and twenty five a day and I just I don't have that kind of time no um, so it's also unfortunate that I'm sure there's a lot of really funny things that people send me or there's probably a lot of really heartfelt messages that people send that I don't get back to but I try to like when I have the time I sit down I just I'll sit for like two and a half hours and just respond to as many as I can and the ones that I appreciate the most is there's a lot of students and then also professional dancers or also like adult students when they write and they say things like I didn't have a sense of humor about my own fails and said I would be miserable every time I messed up but now I see humor in it and I laugh it off and I have such a healthier relationship with ballet and I love when I get those kinds of messages and I always if I see those I always respond to them immediately because you're teaching people (laughs) it's really I think it's and I think that's that's the hope for and it is this thing too that I mean I I personally I mean I feel me and other people who function in terms of comedy uh, and how much it's derided. Whereas it is comedy. When I've been asked to teach comedy, it's mm-hmm. the thing I've said I can't teach. That I, I feel it's harder to teach than ballet, because it requires a level of a, of object of an objectification of not objectification, a level of um, awareness yeah. that is objective yeah. to, as I said earlier, like a global circumstance. And it feels like that early psychologist helped in some way in terms of being like how can you reframe this and also think about yourself in the beginning even talking about this podcast like I want to hear about people's lives Mm -hmm. because it's the lives that are important yeah and it was it was nice so after it started it kept growing that psychologist who I went to he was one of the first people I contacted because I said okay maybe I need a website now that then someone can go to full-time because I wanted the page to still have like a satirical description of it And um, so I said, I need somewhere where I can maybe give a better full explanation. And so I got this website, BiscuitBallerina.com, and I did about, and like, what is Biscuit Ballerina? What's the point? Who am I behind it? And then I thought, okay, I want to have a dancer resources page with 
I went I went through like all of the Point Magazine, Dance Magazine, uh, Dance Spirit, Dance Teacher articles I could find that talked about mental health and dance mm. and also healthy approaches to, to working. And I put those. And then I contacted the psychologist and I said, hi, I don't know if you remember me when I was a student. I, I came to you. Um, and I said, I, I want to have a resource page for dancers that they can reach out to psychologists and therapists and counselors who are experienced with working with people in performing arts. And he said, sure, of course, you can list me. And then he was, he, he was just very nice in his response. And he took a look at like the Instagram page and he said, I love it. I think it's a great take on it. And then after that, I kind of did, basically I just searched on Google, like, dance psychology and then i just saw whoever advertised themselves i contacted them by email and i said hey i'm trying to compile like in one place for dancers to find uh therapists can i can i refer you and like here's my page do you know what my page is and then they all were really supportive and they're like yes of course and then i listed them and then this like dance health organization in australia saw it and they reached out to me and said could you add us to your resources page wow, so it's nice that. that i add all these things and now there's um uh rachel fine she's a nutritionist based here in New York and she has uh, to the point nutrition is her Instagram account and she also started dancenutrition.com uh, and she has such a healthy approach to nutrition that it's not teaching you you know this much this much how to portion your food but she talks about like building a healthier relationship with food and not um, she helps with people with, like orthorexia particularly and having food be something that you enjoy and you listen to your body and you have your natural limits and you don't have these ideas in your head of, I can only do this much a day. I can only count these, this many calories. And so she got in touch with me and um, I was like, wow, I love the way you look at nutrition because it's kind of the same way I think we should look at you know, how we love dancing, that it should be um, something fulfilling. It shouldn't be something that we have to follow rules all the time because we're told to. It should be we're doing this because it makes us feel good. And so, what is orthorexia? So orthorexia is um, it's kind of a newer term, and it's uh, it defines kind of people who are obsessive with how clean they eat. They do like clean eating, uh, uh, like only raw, only vegan, but not because it's ethical or that it does really make them feel better it's because they're obsessed with oh my god that scared me That's our producer's crazy. home Hi. Hi. this so is shelby we were learning about orthorexia and we'll continue to <laughs> um but it's it's um this obsession yeah. with eating so clean you don't allow yourself to have cheat days you don't allow right. yourself to to do anything like you see a cookie and you're like i can't there's it's where there's a lot of i can't and yeah i um it's the thing is, I think it's not technically an eating disorder, but it is, I would think it's more of a psychological disorder in that it's, it's a very unhealthy relationship with food. Disordered that you, thinking. Yeah. Well, it has a kind of, I mean, from what I've understood about it, is that it has a relationship with OCD, with obsessive yeah. compulsive disorder. So it okay. is this thing that begins in a, when we start thinking about ritualized behavior coming out of a thinking that a certain ritual or way of being will help cleanse the person of um, uh, an ailment or that they psychologically are deeming themselves somewhere internally diseased. Mm -hmm. So, and that that happens in various ways in terms of uh, both with food, but that can extend to other practices such yeah. as exercise, bathing things, etc. Yeah. So you, you had no idea. I mean, it's obviously impossible for you to know that by posting like a silly video, you'd end up 
becoming this res- the patron saint of disordered ballerinas <laughs> or whatever it's is do you feel like a responsibility does it sometimes feel like a burden um no because if, if i ever have the feeling that if i want to stop tomorrow like if i'm too busy i'll just say like hey guys i'm okay like i gotta stop i'll leave everything here like what's here you can keep right. looking at it but i'm too busy and that's how i mean it this is. also so feels your temperament because i mean you have that real your southern hospitality brought me these flowers. Oh my gosh! <laughs> we had a beautiful chat Thank earlier. Thank you. That's so you, nice. I, I feel that you know the that you are also augured towards helping people and wanting to help people, as you yourself have been helped. Yeah. I mean, I think that's ultimately the thing. I, I mean, I find that uh, the people who have helped me, I want to extend that to the other people who need help. That's. Yeah. The way that goes yeah and I, it's yeah it's definitely that like if some if if i'm fortunate enough then yeah. why I, how you cannot recognize someone else's misfortune or be that their circumstances of where they were raised or the situation they're in now or the issues they have with themselves but offering like okay here's what i can it's empathy it's empathy do you sometimes wish that there was more focus on like Shelby's dance career or has it brought more focus to Shelby's dance career oh my god it's brought so much focus yeah it's got like I I because I get invited to do talks with students and it's nice also doing kind of like TED talks essentially that I I got to go to Paris last year and do this talk. That That was was a huge one. It was amazing. It was my first talk ever, and I I went there and I just was like, I'm not going to tell them I've never done a speech before. I'm I'm just (laughs) with a full lab. Yeah, like with a full. Until you make it. Yeah. And and it went very well. And then after that, I started getting invitations from some other groups. Unfortunately, because of my company schedule, I wasn't able to do any of the others except for one. This year, I did for the uh, European Lottery Commission for their. Um, big congress that they do every two years and they did they ask people to come speak on the theme of like what is luck um, luck in success mm. or, or chance in success and so I basically kind of did a talk on privilege but I called it luck and you should call it Veronica <laughs> I should have added Veronica into it but I, I talked about I talked about so um, I started because they, they wanted the ballet to do a performance and then our manager Kiki she was so sweet and she said well we actually have a dancer that she's done public speaking before if you also want I know you have keynote speakers if you want an extra speaker maybe consider Shelby and she said like my contact and and info about Biscuit Ballerina and and the speech I gave and then they said yeah okay we want Shelby to give a speech as well she can be the opening of the congress and so what we did was, and it was actually um, the head of the Belgian lottery's idea. He's like, I, I see this, that maybe I saw your Falling Friday videos. Maybe you come out, you start dancing and you fall. And then you get up and we're shocked. But then you start your speech and you talk about luck. And I was like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> oh my God. So it's so what I did is like, I came out, I, I choreographed a piece for eight, 10 of the dancers in the company to be performed, but it starts with me doing solo. And then after like 45 seconds, I like hard hit the floor. And um, then I, I had like my Madonna mic and I stand up and I, I'm just like, oh, and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. That never happened in rehearsal. Just some bad luck today. Um, I'm going to start again and I, I'm 
This is really embarrassing. This is exactly how Barbara Streisand got her job as Funny Girl. <laughs> and then, and then I go, and then I say, like, and then I go on with, you know, like usually, usually I'm pretty lucky. Actually, I'm very lucky. And then I went into everyone thinks I'm being modest when I say I'm lucky, but it's really why I'm where I am today. People associate discipline and sacrifice and hard work with dancing, which is true, but the the main thing playing a role in my life is all the luck I've had. Mm-hmm. And I talk about. Um, like financial luck, I first started telling them how much point shoes cost and I said if I had been born in a lower income family my dreams would have been killed before they even started because without the point shoes I can't do the training. And then I go into, I had a family that supported my career, they told me it's okay to fail, they were encouraging, I said there were so many talented people whose parents wanted them to just have a normal life and go to college and get a normal job and I said I was never pushed away from my dreams by my parents and I'm in a job where I'm passionate so of course I'm more successful because it's driven by passion it's not something I'm told I should have this job and then the last one was I said like physically I don't have any disabilities I was born very healthy I was born naturally thin I didn't have the body shaming that people and I, I like went into more elaboration giving examples of the dance world and then I said also um, being white I never had someone tell me there's too many white ballerinas in this company where I did have a Japanese friend my first year working she went to do an audition in another company in Austria and came back and told me yeah it went well but the director told me he already has too many Asians and I was like yeah realizing that I I myself might not be discriminating against people but I'm still benefiting from it and then I had like the audience raise their hands of who felt that their family helped them financially and like everyone raised their hands who, or they, they maybe lived in a nice enough country to have free education. Everyone right. raised their hands. Um, who who had a family that was supportive of their career? Everyone raised their hands. Who felt that um, they've never they they're at an advantage with how they look? That they either look healthy and strong in the part, and so people have confidence in them. You know, they maybe look a certain way that other people recognize. Like, oh, you look like my neighbor. I'm comfortable hiring you. And, and not as many people raised their hand there, but I think they were maybe just more shy about that because right. not a single person in there had any sort of disability. And already, persons with disabilities, they have like a larger hill to climb because a lot of people look at them and be like, I don't know if you can really do all the work, right. you know? So, so recognizing that and just kept saying like, do you realize how lucky you are? And talking to the audience and saying, um, so we have luck. What does it mean? You know, is it? Life's just not fair, and that's what it is. I said, but I think just being aware, we, we and then end up having more empathy and recognizing when other people are not as lucky as us. And then it kind of finished with saying, I think if we have luck, why not be the luck other people need? So, yeah. like, be a mentor, donate to scholarship funds, help someone um, who couldn't afford the education that they deserve, or give if you are in a position of power that you can hire anyone don't hire only through connections. Maybe find a total stranger who has potential and ambition and give them a chance if no one's given them a chance yet. And so it's kind of, it's nice that from Biscuit Ballerina, I ended up getting to go and do these talks on that or talks on perfection. And um, now I'm going to Dublin in October, uh, Germany in October and in September to Paris to do like talks at different conventions, all specifically for dance, but also talking about what is, they all have their different themes, like what is the future of dance or uh, mental health for dance, or the other one is like dancers' rights and, and understanding your rights and standing up for yourself. 
And so it's nice that somehow it's branched into so many different um, fields and getting to do that. I like it. So I don't, I, I don't. So it's very impressive. I, I don't mind if so my dance grateful. career is like overshadowed because everything else that's coming out of it is really. We hope it, one day you can bring this information to also American dancers. <laughs> I, I mean, it yeah. does. We, we need it here for sure. Yeah. I mean, and it's a thing of, um, yeah, I really, I hope that you do a big talk as well here and in the Nexus in New York would be, and I'm, I'm glad that people get to hear this now and, and through this platform. And I thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. And this it's, after all is the silver medal dance platform. <laughs> I mean, I really, there's, dance magazine. and that you, that you have uh, kept such a focus on helping others and uh, and finding all the language to and, and that you're continuing to find the language to do it and to do the research. I just think you're incredible. Yeah, it's really you. it's amazing <laughs> to 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 decide to go out like that. And so frequently, I think dancers are told to be quiet and to just keep dancing, even if it's not said overtly. I think there are covert ways that that happens yeah. to dancers. And I'm, I know I'm very, like, I'm, I'm aware of it all the time. I'm very lucky that I work for a company that is so supportive of this. Yeah. And I know there, there would have been many companies who would have shut me down right when Business Ballerina started, yeah. or if I, yeah, that they're not comfortable with their dancers having a platform and maybe speaking that, you know, how do you disassociate? What, what are you saying that's not the words of our company, right. be it, positive or negative so I'm I know I'm very lucky also that my company it's amazing it's amazing this. that you have that yeah. and that and it real and there is such an arc through this whole thing of that when you spoke up good things happened and not just for you but for other people mm -hmm. and that's the point thank you so much <laughs> we love you and um, I listeners, love your thank you, thank you. <laughs> and I want to come visit in Antwerp. I've come never to been. Antwerp. I want to check out this Through theater. This extra room. I'll check out this theater that you talked about. And oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll see what's happening. Yeah, that would be fun. Contact that would be fun. Um, uh, thank you so much. How can people find you? Um, so I, I have my website, biscuitballerina.com. I have my two Instagram accounts. There's Biscuit Ballerina and at Shelby Groups. So Biscuit Ballerina is, of course, my Biscuit Ballerina content. And then Shelby Groups is where I post my work that I'm doing with the company or any sort of projects on the side. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Cool. All right, listeners. We loves you. Bye. <laughs> Ciao.